If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. And here we end the reading of God's holy word. Well, in our study of the book of Acts, uh, this is our ninth sermon. Uh, we are up to the fourth chapter, and really, not many things have happened yet in the book. Uh, we saw the ascension of Christ back into heaven. We saw the Pentecost event and the preaching that followed. And we have seen the healing of the lame man and the preaching that accompanied that. But not much has happened so far. And in fact, the story doesn't advance a whole lot more this evening as we really have a continuation of what happened last time. Last time they healed the lame man and Peter spoke about the nature of that. And now they are being called to account for what took place officially called to give an answer to charges being brought against them, charged for speaking in Jesus' name. Verse 1, And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They were preaching in Jesus the resurrection. Now, it doesn't surprise us that the Sadducees would not like that. You remember from your study of, of the Gospels, the Sadducees were those who did not believe in the resurrection. 
But, but, but more than that, they're annoyed that they're teaching this in Jesus' name. Now, that's how they will question them. By what power and in whose name are you doing this? We read in verse 3, And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. The, uh, the uh, court would sit in session from mid-morning till about mid-afternoon. Obviously, it is after that. And so they are put and arrested and put in jail for the night when they will be brought in for questioning. And what is the nature of that questioning? Verse 5, On the next day their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and the high priestly family. And when they had set them in their midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? By what power? By what name? We have seen what happened. What has happened? We have heard what has happened. A lame man of 40 years has been healed. But we want to know by what power and in whose name you have done this. Well, Peter, as is characteristic for him, takes the opportunity to declare the name of Jesus. Verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him... This man is standing before you well. Peter takes the opportunity to declare the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That simple message of the gospel. The gospel is not difficult. The gospel is not hard. It is to declare the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we will see that this, this simple gospel message is brought by simple messengers who are being simply obedient to the commission God had given to them. As they are being charged, uh, Peter wants to clarify the charge against them. He wants to, we would say, frame the question as my brother and fellow philosopher Aaron Mangia, we know how important it is to frame the question properly. And so Peter wants to properly frame the question. They are being called in, they've been put under arrest as if they were criminals, as if they'd done something wrong. How does Peter frame the question? Rulers, people, elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed we have done. We are being treated as if we are under arrest for doing something terrible. But you are calling us to account for doing a good deed. We are no menace to society. We are no challenge to the ruling class. He, he begins by putting them on the defensive. They've called Peter and John in, but Peter and John will put them on the defensive. Look at what you're doing. 
for a good thing that has happened, you've arrested us and you're calling us to account. He is in this way indicting them, those who were the leaders, the rulers of the church. If we would fast forward about 1,500 years to the writing of one of our own confessional documents, the Belgic Confession. The Belgic Confession describes for us the nature of the true church and the nature of the false church. And one of the characteristics of the false church is that it persecutes those who are doing good. We see that here in this story. You're calling us to account for a good deed. They should have known better. The chief priests, the scribes should have known better. We have done something good. And yet they will respond. They'll respond to the accusation. Verse 10, let it be known to all of you, to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. It was done in the name of Jesus. That was the last thing they wanted to hear. That it was done in the name of Jesus. Very likely, some of these were the same ones who had called Jesus in not so long before, who had been the ones to, to respond to, to the charges brought against him by ignoring the truth and by condemning Jesus to death. It would be an, an eerie echo of what had taken place not so long ago. It is by Jesus' name. We've seen that the book of Acts is, is what Jesus continues to do and teach and we see that continuance here echoed in Peter's words. It is by the name of Jesus Christ, the one whom you killed, the one whom you crucified. And yet they will bear witness to his name. And this is where Peter harks back to Psalm 118, that psalm that we read earlier tonight. Verse 11, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. He calls to mind the words of Psalm 118, the stone which the builders has rejected became the cornerstone. Although he's a little more precise, he applies the text directly to them. He doesn't simply say the stone which the builders rejected became the cornerstone. The stone that was rejected by you, the builders, has become the cornerstone. Jesus, uh, Peter indicts them for the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and then goes on to declare the truth and the power of his name. Verse 12, and there is salvation in no one else and there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It is in Jesus' name, and it is only in Jesus' name that salvation is found. The exclusive claim of the gospel. And it is, it is this exclusive claim that is part of the offense of the gospel, that there is no other name. And when we, as a church, begin to talk like that, people will say, well, you're so intolerant. 
Why would you claim it's Jesus' name only? Aren't there many names out there? Now, if Jesus works for you, that's just fine. But there's Buddha, and there's Confucius, and there's the Dalai Lama, and there's all kinds of others. Why do you say it's in Jesus' name only? You're being so intolerant. The church, I want to let you know, is not intolerant. We are absolutely as tolerant as the Bible allows us to be. And the truth is, the gospel is for absolutely anyone. There's no exclusivity. It is for anyone who will embrace Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, who find in His name all they need for salvation. We don't have a certain class structure. You have to pass a test. For anyone who embraces Christ, all are welcome and all are part of the church. It is in His name and in anyone who embraces that name. And that's the, the call of the gospel again tonight. You don't have to meet a certain class standard or, or make a certain amount of money or have a certain job. If you embrace Jesus Christ and His name alone for your salvation, you are welcome to be part of this congregation. You are welcome to be part of this church. This is the call of the gospel, a very simple message. It's not hard. It's not difficult. A simple message, embrace Jesus Christ and know the power of his name. The name of Jesus is known by the world, but often misused by them. It is misused when they take his name on their lips as a curse. I'm always amazed when people who would have nothing to do with God or even acknowledge that God exists will use God's name to curse the things going on around them. But probably what happens more with Jesus' name is not that people use his name so much as a curse, but, but more often that they ignore the name of Jesus, living as if he doesn't exist living as if he has not ascended and is sitting on the throne in heaven, ruling and reigning over all. And while it doesn't surprise us when we see that in the world, it should surprise us when we see that in the church. When on, on Sunday we gather together for worship and we sing our songs of praise and we join our hearts in prayer and we hear Jesus' name proclaimed again and we leave the church and on Monday and in our jobs, live as if it makes no difference at all that we have been in church on Sunday. We ignore his name, but his name is for every day, and it is for every part of our lives. His name directs how we live at home as husbands and wives, as parents and children. His name directs how we do our work, not simply for a paycheck, but for the glory of God, for His praise. His name directs how we educate ourselves and our children. His name directs how we spend our free time and our recreation. The powerful name of Jesus Christ must not be ignored, certainly not on Sunday, but not every day of the week as well. 
but blessing his name by living according to his holy standards. Blessing him not only with our lips, but also with our lives. Embracing that simple message. Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, and his power to save everyone who calls on him. The gospel is not difficult. It's a simple message. And we see in our story, it was brought by simple messengers. Look at verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. They knew that these men were not the sons of rabbis. Uh, These men were fishermen. They were regular, ordinary, everyday people, simple, ordinary men. Yet they were simple men bringing a simple message. And how often in the scripture don't we see exactly that happening? God uses very regular, ordinary, everyday people to to share the gospel. You do not need to have an advanced degree in theology. To share the gospel, you do not have to be able to parse Greek and Hebrew verbs. You don't have to be able to spend uh, 10 days a day reading Reformed theology, Hodge and Burkauer and Bavink and all of those guys. You simply have to be a regular, ordinary person who knows Jesus Christ. Simple, regular, ordinary men. But what qualified them? They recognized they were uneducated, common men. They were astonished, and they recognized they had been with Jesus. That's what qualified these simple messengers to bring that simple message. They had been with Jesus. They had spent time listening to him. And now they started to sound like their master. Their master, who would speak as one with authority, they began to speak as one with authority, declaring the gospel boldly. And people are amazed. They're astounded. They sound like Jesus, for they had been with him. Tonight, we have once again been with Jesus. By the power of his Holy Spirit, he is here with us tonight. We are simple, ordinary, regular, everyday people. But we have been with Jesus. How will we respond to this time spent with him tonight? We just sang one of my favorite songs, uh, I Love to Tell the Story. I love to tell the story of unseen things above, of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. But I have to confess, When I sing that song and I read those words again, I have to ask myself, do I really love it? Do I really love to tell the story? And and if I really love it, why don't I do it more often? Why don't I more often share that simple story of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus with those around me.
it seems so hard for us at times to open our mouths to others, perhaps even in our own homes, difficult to share the gospel. For some of us, we have walked with God for many, many years. Uh, For some of us, from the time we were children, brought to church. We have a richness of a godly heritage. What have we done with that? We are regular, ordinary, uneducated people. And yet, by God's grace, we have been with Jesus. Have we shared that simple message with those around us? Because for for Peter and for John, sharing the message was simply a matter of obedience to God. It was simple obedience for them. We look at verse 14. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? That a notable sign's been performed is evident to all the inhabitants. We can't deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let's warn them not to speak any more to anyone in this name. So they're going to say, this is their answer. We're just going to tell them, stop speaking. Verse 18. So they called them and they charged them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. Once again, Peter will turn the tables. He will put them on the defensive. Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. They were the judges. They were the ones who who were making the determination. And Peter says to them, look, you're the judges, you better judge. You've told us not to speak or teach at all in Jesus' name. Is it right to follow you, our judges, or to follow God? You better judge that, he says. Turns the table on them. And he goes on to say, For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. We cannot but speak. We can't help it. We have been with Jesus. We know the gospel. We can't help but tell the truth that we know. It is simply a matter of obedience to our God. And you judges, you chief priests, you who who run the temple, you should know that. You should know we are obliged to follow God and to obey Him. Think of how many times Peter begins his sermons when challenged, brothers, listen to me. He can't help but speak. We cannot help but speak of what we have seen and heard. Even though it would put them out of favor with the authorities, he said, we simply can't help it. We have seen the Lord. We have seen His life, His death, His resurrection, and we cannot help but speak about it. Tonight, once again, God calls us to simple obedience. We have seen in His Word the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How do we respond to that message? Well, that was interesting. That's certainly something to think about and to ponder over. Or do we say, we were with Jesus. 
We heard His Word. The Spirit spoke to us through that Word. And we cannot help but speak of what we have heard and seen. Tomorrow, we will go back to our jobs. And with all that's going on now and all the things that are closed down and just starting to open, someone will ask, how was your weekend? What did you do? This is an automatic invitation. I was able to go to church and hear about Jesus. And I would love to tell you about him. The time is ripe. God in his his providence gives us these circumstances. People are asking, what are you doing? How are you getting along? How did you spend your weekend? I was able to go to be with God's people, to sit under the ministry of the word and hear that simple story once again. Oh, may God open our mouths that we as simple messengers not be afraid Not be afraid to obey that commission to bring the gospel to the nations, to bring the gospel to our neighbors, to bring the gospel to our families and our friends. Let's join together in prayer. Lord our God, we do thank you for the beauty, the richness, the depth of the gospel but also its simplicity. Too often, O God, we would say we're not qualified to share this message, but we have been with you. We have once again sat under the ministry of the Word, knowing Jesus' life, knowing his death, knowing you raised him from the dead, and all of this for us. O Lord God, we pray you would open our mouths. Take away our fear. Take away our apprehension. Help us as simple, common, uneducated people to declare the truth that we know. Jesus Christ is a sinner's Savior. Hear our prayer, O God, for Jesus' sake. Amen. We're going to turn once again to the uh, worship folder, number 377. Number 377, we have heard the joyful sound, Jesus saves, Jesus saves, spread the tidings all around, Jesus saves, Jesus saves, bear the news to every land, climb the steeps and cross the waves, onward tis our Lord's command, Jesus saves. Jesus saves. We're going to sing all four verses. Let's stand as we sing 377.
Following the benediction, we'll sing number 493, and I would ask that you would be seated following that song. Receive now the parting blessing of our God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen. Tonight on the way out, there are offering baskets on either side for the offering for Cary Christian Center. I'd like to ask the ushers if they would come forward at this time. We'll be exiting out either side, the piano side and organ side, uh, down the side aisles, and uh, they will dismiss us uh, row by row. Uh, have a wonderful week and live in the blessing of God's love.